Morning, church. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We are in a series here, and I know that sounds odd that we would continue a series on Easter Sunday, but let me catch some of you up. We've been talking about Easter people, people that were around Jesus at the uh, last week of his life, and, and they either had a conversation with him or, or maybe something happened that sort of surrounded them. We talked a little bit about Lazarus, who was dead, and then Jesus raised him to life. We talked a little bit about Nicodemus, who was sort of afraid to go public with his faith. We talked about Thomas, who was pretty much a cynic. Talked about the disciples who found community even at the, the Last Supper. And what we found was true about all of those people is that they remind us of us. They remind us a lot of us. Their, their doubts, their cynicism, their not too sure about this faith, uh, uh, even, even Lazarus. I mean, he was dead and brought back to life. Now, I hope that doesn't remind you of you, but anyway. So we keep finding ourselves in these, in these stories, and today maybe we find ourselves even more. Talk about an unusual character, a Roman centurion who was transformed by sacrifice. He saw something go on on a Friday that we all know about that just rocked his whole world. Now, the same could be true for all of the Easter people, but especially this guy. He, he, he wasn't at all on the same page. He wasn't, the background wasn't there. You know, the Romans had many, many gods, and, and here he was hearing the stories of this, this Jewish God that, that sent his son, and now this guy is on the cross. So here's what I want you to take away a little bit. The impulsive and radical response at the end of what we call the crucifixion, it captured and sort of predicted the relationship between the cross and the tomb. So we Christians have two symbols that we talk a lot about this time of year, and they were actually pretty close together. If you were to go to Israel, there is a church there called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and uh, the, the people who wanted to remember Jesus built this massive church, and it's over both the cross location and the tomb location. And to be real honest with you, they're no farther apart than the length of this room. Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, and the tomb where they laid him, they're, they're actually very close together. In our, in our minds, we, we, we have them trudging through the streets with his body on their shoulders, but, but they didn't have to carry him all that far at all. And I think the proximity of the two maybe sets us up to wonder what that Roman centurion was thinking. So the tomb is the foundation of our faith. I mean, we're, we're here today because of the empty tomb. We, we, we understand Christianity. It's, it all rests on this. But I need to go back a couple of days and talk about Friday. 
So one more time, it's Easter, y'all. He is risen. All right, now we're ready. The centurion had a front row. Let's talk about what a centurion was for a second. By definition, centurion, century, he was the leader of roughly a hundred men. He enlisted in the Roman army or he was conscripted in the Roman army, the the largest fighting machine proportionally that, that the world has ever known. You would serve in the Roman army 20 years. At the end of your 20 years, you would be given title and land. And a centurion had to work his way up. So, so you don't, you don't, it's not like today when, when you can go to college or ROTC or something like that and then come out a, a, an officer or whatever. The, everybody started at the bottom and worked their way up. And by the time you are a centurion, you have seen some horrible things. You have, have seen things that, 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 that are incredibly brutal some things that are incredibly sacrificial. You've seen your own soldiers uh, die, and, and some of them in, in freak accidents, and some of them in battle. And so the Roman centurion would have seen a lot of stuff. But he also would have seen um, the faith of the Jewish people. For some reason, this guy was assigned to Palestine, to, to what we now call Israel. Now, if you do the history work, there weren't that many Romans in Israel. There was maybe three, four, five, six thousand at the most. To, to put it in perspective, when the Romans decided they'd had enough of the Jews and they, they destroyed Jerusalem, they did it with 60,000 men. But the legions were located in Syria and Egypt to the north, to the south. And this guy, for some reason, was in Jerusalem during what we call Holy Week. I, I think he was probably there to protect the Roman governor, Pilate, who was in town just because Passover was going on and a holiday, and, and, and the Roman peace was to be protected. You've, you've probably heard of that in your history lessons, Pax Romana, the Roman peace. You can pretty much do anything you wanted to around the Romans as long as you didn't violate the peace. And so Jesus was nailed to this cross. This guy was there. Why a, a, a high-ranking officer was there, I don't know. It was his duty to stay there until all the criminals on the crosses were dead, and his duty was, was fulfilled, orders given, orders obeyed, received. And so that's kind of who he was. Now let me read a little bit of his story. I'm in Mark chapter 15, uh, Mark chapter 15, and this is the story of the death of Jesus. And Lowell, I'm going to let you keep up with me so I don't have to use the clicker. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land. So this was roughly noon to 3 p.m. This darkness was not just a normal overcast day. It, it, was, it was dark. It's that, 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 that eclipse feeling, that time when you're, you're, you're going, okay, something's weird about the weather. Now, keep in mind, the Romans had a God for everything. They had a God for weather. 
They had a God for thunder. They had a God for war. They had a God for love. They had a God for hate. They had a God for peace. They had a God for everything. And so this is kind of rolling around in this guy's head, which God is responsible for this darkness. So at the ninth hour, three-ish, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, and I only give you the Aramaic because of the next line. The Eloi part sounded like Elijah, but it really meant, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, which is a direct quote from Psalm 22. So he said, some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling for Elijah. He's asking for the Old Testament prophet to come get him off the cross, get him out of all this pain. Let's just see what happens next. So somebody ran to get him a drink, gave him some sour wine, and the other said, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's wait and see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw this, in the way that he died, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. So this is a Roman centurion. He's at the foot of the cross. His job is to wait for this guy to die. Then he's to drag him off the cross And normally they would just throw him in a pit. That's what happened to the the criminals. But in in this case, we kind of know that a a wealthy Jewish man named Joseph of Arimathea, he said, hey, can I take him and bury him? And we'll get to that in just a second. But this Roman is standing there, and it's a Friday. Now, the, the Romans really didn't care about the Sabbath. The Jewish people did. They said, hey, these guys need to be dead by the time the Sabbath starts at 6 p.m. on, on Friday night. So, so the, the primary cause of death with crucifixion was asphyxiation. Their lungs would collapse in on themselves. And so when they would nail their feet to the, to the, uh, the, the vertical beam, they could push up and, and try to get air in their lungs. And so somewhere near when they wanted them to die, they would break their legs at the shin bone so that they could no longer push up. Scripture tells us that Jesus was already dead by the time they did any of that. And so as the prediction was in prophecy, not a bone would be broken. Now, back to being a Roman soldier. Maybe some of you kind of have that same vibe. There's, there's a lot of different things that you might call God. Now, I don't know that we do that on purpose, but, but we think about a lot of things. We worship a lot of things. We, we elevate a lot of things to, to some kind of status in our lives. We might kind of secretly think that there's a, a whole lot of solutions. Uh, 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 maybe we don't go out with the Greeks or the Romans and say there's a God for this, a God for that. But, but in our mind, we're kind of going, hey, hey, there's a lot of reasons that things happen. And I'm not so sure I'm buying the, the religious talk. That's, that's what the Roman was. And for him, religion was this casual thing. It was this, it, it was this just a way of life that we, we sacrifice to the gods whether we believe in them or not because it's sort of the cultural thing to do. But all of a sudden, he's confronted with this, this guy on the cross, and this is a Friday that's just not like other Fridays. 
Now, he'd seen a bunch of crucifixions. Uh, the Romans were pretty fond of this. They, they would crucify th- criminals. They would crucify Christians. They would crucify deserters in the Roman army. By the way, that was the only way a Roman could get crucified, is because it was, the crucifixion was considered to be so horrible that they wouldn't even crucify a Roman citizen unless he was a deserter from the army. And so this horrible, horrible death that he had become jaded. He, he had become just accustomed to it. Okay, my assignment is there. But, but let, me, let me just suppose, if a centurion is the leader of 80 to 100 men, and if there were two or 3,000 soldiers in Jerusalem during this Passover week, then there wouldn't have been that many centurions, right? Double handful. And this guy seems to have been dispatched by Pilate to make sure that nothing happened at this cross business, this this guy that's gotten some fame because of this last week, making sure nothing would happen to that guy. Then we can also surmise that maybe this same guy was there when Pilate said to him, what is truth? And the remarkable exchange between Pilate and Jesus that you can read about in, in all four of the Gospels, but particularly Matthew and Mark. And so this remarkable exchange and then the, the parade through the streets carrying the, the crossbar the, the beatings, the scourging, it was this guy's men that probably did it because he was apparently dispatched. He was, he was special for Pilate, and so, so he finds himself at the foot of the cross. He's watching all this going on. Let's get in his head for a minute. What was it that he saw? Well, obviously, he saw this, this guy on the cross, He saw that he was horribly abused. He saw that he was bleeding, that he was dehydrated to the point of nothing. He saw that people seemed to take a special interest in cursing him. The the, the Scripture says they passed by and they derided him. They, They wagged their fingers and they pointed and by the way, crucifixion is kind of not what they uh, depicted in the paintings. He wasn't more than this far off the ground. And so people were pretty in his face. So the Roman soldier's taking it all in. The centurion, he's, he's watching all of this. He sees the sky very dark. He sees the effects of an earthquake that took place when the guy dies. He sees a mixture of fear and worship of the, the few believers, the few disciples that would dare to be at the cross. He, he sees the, the mother of Jesus there, obviously hysterically distraught. What did he hear? Well, he heard the thunder. He heard that over in the temple... The curtain had torn. He, he couldn't see it from where he was, but, it, but he, I'm sure he heard about it right away. He, he heard that this massive curtain, and, and I, don't, I don't doubt that it was almost as tall as this room, 
and that the temple curtain tore from top to bottom, and he's, he's trying to understand that. A Roman would not assume that he has access to the gods. If the gods came down, it, it was to, to do mischief or to, or to be involved with humans, but it was always at the initiation of the gods. And now all of a sudden, this temple curtain has torn from top to bottom. What was the temple guarding? The temple was in front of the holiest place in all of Jewishness. It was a place where they considered to be the presence of God. Only the high priest could go in there, and only once a year. And so when the temple curtain tore, it was like God could get out and man could get in. And so that's all about access. All of a sudden, this, this Roman is going, okay, the, they're, they're talking about that the holy of holies has been exposed, that, that their God, instead of being kept in this room, is allowed out, and, and man could be allowed in, and, and, and certainly the empty tomb is about access. That, that's what he heard. He heard Jesus say a number of things from the cross. You have to read all four of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to get all seven of the sayings. But among them, he said to his mother, this guy will take care of you, pointing at the apostle John. He said, behold, that's your son now. He said to John, that's your mother now. He said, I'm thirsty he, he said, God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only one we have from Mark. But then he said something remarkable. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And I'm sure this is just mind-blowing for this centurion, because he'd heard lots of criminals beg for mercy. He'd heard lots of criminals curse anybody and everybody that was around him. He heard lots of criminals just wailing and carrying on, but this guy wasn't saying anything. And when he did say something, he offered forgiveness rather than asking for it. You know, a lot of criminals, when they're being executed, they say, I, I want forgiveness for the things that I've done. But this guy offered forgiveness, something that this centurion had certainly never heard. Wait a minute, he's offering me forgiveness. I just oversaw the nailing of his wrists and his feet to this cross. I uh, commanded the, the, the troops that put him up there. I directly initiated all this suffering, and this guy is looking me in the eye and saying, the most horrible thing you could have done to me, I forgive you. Let me give you a couple of phrases that I want you to hang on to for the, the rest of our time. Hope out of despair. Joy out of agony. This morning when we baptized at uh, 7 o'clock this morning, I said that, that the whole Easter story is about despair giving way to hope and the symbolism of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 
As a matter of fact, the, the whole Jesus story that, that he was born uh, in a very unusual way, that he lived and taught some important lessons, that he, he received people unto himself, that, that he was tried by the Romans, crucified on a cross, buried on the third day he rose, and he promised he would return again the gospel. That's a, a remarkable story, in this, and this soldier had certainly heard all of that. And now I wonder if he was feeling pretty conflicted. Wait a minute, what, what am I supposed to be feeling? He, he just forgave me. And, and certainly the Roman was disciplined. He was used to giving orders. He was used to receiving orders. Things happened in, in a systematic, orderly, disciplined way. But this guy was breaking all the rules. What he saw what he heard, what he felt, what he eventually said. It was, it, was, it was against all the rules. All of a sudden, when the guy died, without ever begging for mercy, some wise commentator said it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross, it was the love of God. And as he died, as he said, it is finished. Father, into your hands I receive my spirit. This guy was overcome, and, and all of the things that he had picked up along the way sort of collided. The Holy Spirit put a thought in his head, and he exclaimed, surely this was the Son of God. But as S.M. Lockridge, a famous African-American preacher, said it was Friday, <laughs> but Sunday was coming. But the centurion didn't know that. He didn't know that. And a lot of times when we are in our Friday, when we are anxious about something, when we're depressed about something, when we're angry about something, when we're lonely, and, and all of the emotions that certainly this centurion felt now we can identify with him. He doesn't know that there is a supernatural solution that's just days away. He doesn't see that there's hope that can come out of despair. Maybe even that he was, he was so disgusted by the, the hundreds and hundreds of crucifixions that he'd seen that he was going, how much blood needs to be shed? How much blood really needs to be shed? Most of the Romans didn't even believe that Jesus was guilty of anything. And I just wonder if there was a moment where he said, isn't there anything to be gained from all of this? Isn't there anything that can bring hope out of despair, life out of death? What, what can be done about fear? What can be done about anxiety? What can be done about depression? What can be done about all of the things that you and I, we identify with this Roman soldier because, but he was there just sort of demonstrating all the emotions that we have, whether we admit them or not. But I have no doubt in my mind that on Sunday morning, he was rousted out of bed. Because if the Roman peace was going to be violated, it was going to be violated because somebody had stolen this guy's body and that all of his promises about resurrection were coming true, or maybe they were, or maybe they weren't. 
The Holy Spirit rocked his world. Truly, this was the Son of God. But then he heard about these events, beginning in chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, in other words, it was Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. They, they pulled him off the cross rather hastily on Friday evening, had to be in the tomb by six o'clock. That's when Sabbath started. And so they spiced him up the best they could, but what's not to like about more spices, so they brought them. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone? It was very big. Looking up, they said the stone had been rolled away, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man. We, we know that now to be an angel, and, and he said, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Now, that's your cue for the audience participation part of the program. He is risen. He is risen. Now, that was a phrase that was repeated often among the early church. We would all be naive to think that that Roman soldier didn't hear that. We, we would be just denying reality if we thought that in a town as small as Jerusalem, one time I was there in Jerusalem, and I went for a jog in the morning, and I ran around the city, keeping the wall of the city on my left, and it was only about four miles all the way around it. And so it would be naive to think that he hadn't heard that the temple curtain had torn, or that Three days later, this guy had, had, wasn't in the tomb where he was supposed to be, and now the wheels are turning, and he's trying to figure out what's going on here. And maybe he remembered that this guy forgave him. And if his promise to not be in the tomb was true, and if all the other things that he said would come true, maybe that could be true as well. And so the Scripture goes on to say, See the place where they left him, the angel said. Now go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will find him just as he told you. C.S. Lewis wrote a story of his uh, uh, gravitation towards Christianity. He was a, a nonbeliever. As a matter of fact, he was hostile towards Christianity. And just a series of events, probably not all that different than what happened to this soldier. They took place, and, and he wrote a book about it that he called Surprised by Joy. Now, some people thought that that was an innuendo because his wife's name was Joy, and that probably surprised him as well, but it wasn't. He was surprised by the joy he could find, and joy was his catch-all term for what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's, it's, it's a life of joy. It's an abundant life. It is hope out of despair. Surprised by joy. And I, I wonder if the Roman soldier wasn't surprised by joy. 
I wonder if all of a sudden the, 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 the tumblers are clicking into place and, and his, his mind is being unlocked to the silliness of, of a God for this and a God for that and, and try to drink enough to appease the gods or party enough to appease the gods or fast enough to appease the gods or deny yourself enough, be suffering enough to appease the gods. And maybe the tumbler clicked into place that this guy suffered on my behalf have, that the cross and the tomb really aren't that far apart, and that the link between the two is that our hope comes out of our despair, our anger, our fear, our depression, our anxiety gives way to joy. We don't always know how. It's not always instant. There's no promise that it is. But in the big picture, this hardened Roman soldier exclaimed, surely this is the Son of God. And I just wonder, the legends, which legends are legends, the legends are that this guy became a follower of Christ and eventually was martyred for his faith. We don't know that to be true or to be not true. He would have given up a lot to leave the life of a Roman soldier to be a a missionary for Christ, but he wouldn't have been the first. But what we do know is that he watched horrible, horrible suffering, and that the Spirit of God helped him to make sense of that, and his exclamation at the end of the day was, truly, this is the Son of God. When you put those two together, that at the cross, surely this is the Son of God, at the tomb He is risen, He is not here, we get a picture of what God is doing with our despair and our anger and our fear and our guilt and our shame, and we think about all the things that we've done that make us not worthy of this incredible message. We think of all the things that we've thought, that we've served, that we've done, that we've failed to do. And this Roman soldier is all of those. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're forgiven, as he does with us. So the message of Easter, certainly, he is not here, he is risen. He'll, go, he'll meet you in Galilee, go. But the message of Good Friday that carries over is a recognition of this guy who didn't want much to do with these Jewish Christians, didn't want much to do with this message, didn't want much to do with this man. He was there when his troops nailed him to the cross. And yet, hours later, His exclamation of faith is one that we still talk about. I wonder if that could be your exclamation of faith. I wonder if the cross paired with the tomb has made a difference in your life. I wonder if it could. I wonder if you're ready to give over your sin, your anger, your shame, your guilt, your despair, so that out of despair, hope, out of agony, joy. He is risen indeed. Pray with me. God, thanks.
for these stories of people who were just real and yet who came to you in their pain asking for mercy, asking for a new life, whether a thief on the cross, whether Lazarus from the tomb, Nicodemus in the night, the Roman centurion on Good Friday. You have said, forgive us, for we know not what we do. And we receive that from you gratefully that that you have conquered death. You have conquered our worst fear. You have taken the sting out of it. You have allowed us to see beyond our present to an eternity that is hope out of despair. And for that we are grateful. If there are any of you who want to start that conversation, there are greeters in the lobby, there are pastors here, there are people online, our, our phone number is pretty widely published, you can call the church and say, connect me with somebody, I need to have this conversation, I need to know what it's like to invite Jesus into my life so that I can have hope from my despair. And I would challenge you to have that conversation. If the despair has crept back in, let's get you in a small group so you can be encouraged by this incredible message of the two great symbols of faith, the suffering on the cross that paid for our sins and the tomb that is empty that gave us hope, the cross that was occupied, the tomb that was not, that give us the hope of the resurrection. He is risen indeed. And it's in his name I pray.